I stopped dancing because I figured nobody dances Pat beyond the age of 30. I might right. as well get it. When I started dancing with Rennie, I just turned 30. <laughs> there it is. And started my career then. Welcome back to Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people that you need to know and the stories you want to hear. Uh, today, I am joined by... Y'all gonna learn today. If you don't know, you gonna learn today. This man is... I call him the... How, how did I put you before? You are the anthropological guardian of ethnic vernacular Afro diaspora intelligence of dance. Like you get, we're going to get into all this stuff. This man is a professor at University of Southern California, Kaufman School of Dance. He's been uh, at Drex University in Philly. He's been at Yale University of Drama. Uh, he has, he is published. He has his own book that we're going to talk about and uh, talking about, uh, beginning hip hop practices. He is also annotated in a number of books that are bringing in the jazz history and roots that leads into hip hop. Yo, this man is the professor. Please welcome Il Cosby, Monsell Durden in the house. What up, brother? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, th- I think I think I'm gonna have to start bringing in uh, sound. Cl- what? Since when do you know how to play? Yeah, you know what? We just we- John Hart. <laughs> Come on, man, John Hart. I'm into everything. This this is why he's an anthrop dance anthropologist. Is what I was trying to say earlier. I'm just you got you guys got to not click your teeth. You know when you do it. <laughs> Uh, Marcel, what's up, bruv? What's going on, Mr. Mister? I'm chilling. How you be? I'm good. Yeah. I'm vibing. I'm just chilling. Going to bring the people into who you is and what it is you do's up in here. <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to be another. This is going to oh. be another special one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bro, let's get through the boring stuff. Before we get to all the good stuff, let's get through the boring stuff. We got to get a little introduction. You're from Harrisburg. Unfortunately. Oh, my God. All right, let's, so let's. Wow. Uh, I don't know if I should continue asking about the history of Harrisburg or if I should just move on. So let's just say you from Philly then. You can, you can, I mean, you can, we can, we can get into Harrisburg. My roots is in the burg. Okay. Where my roots is at. And uh, I hate the place. Uh, (laughs) I never had a fondness for it, but um. My experience was incredible. Okay. Right? The, the, the experience that I had growing up, um, I cherish. Well, it also helped shape you into who you are today. Yeah. So you can't, it's part of history. You can't be where you are today without where you came from. So. Right. Right. That's, I mean, my, my, you know, the people 
that know me, not not dance me, not Munsell, the mm. people that know Eric. Yeah. My 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 birth first name. Uh that you know, they that's that's who know me. They know me. So, you know, in in, in this world when we're like looking to cling to our, when we, when we're in our tribes and we're, you know, in our twenties and thirties and forties and whatnot, when we with our tribes, we want those people that know us. Right. It is unfortunate that, you know, in my growing up, you know, I, I left those cats in Harrisburg. Mm. I'm, I'm, I've had a couple lives so far and, you know, my dad's family know me, but they don't know me. They don't, they don't right. go back. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't have that relationship with my dance family. Um, my current dance family where, you know, they go back to when we was in the clubs in Harrisburg, they don't go back to the skating rinks in Harrisburg. They don't go back to the playgrounds, you know, that those conversations are for my folks that I grew up with in the bird. Right. Um, and it's a bittersweet kind of a thing. I wish I had them. I wish I had those. Like we got those collective stories and memories, and I can joke, but I don't see them often. Right. I'm with you. I have a similar. A lot so of when people, I do go back to Harrisburg, nobody knows. See, that's what I was gonna say. I have a so a lot of people know me from being from Philly, but I was actually born and grew up in Hartford, Connecticut. And when I left, okay. I left. Now, I love my family. I love my friends. And they are a whole part of me. And I have to see them when I go home. But Philly is where I grew up. Like, that's where I feel that I became me. So, again, I can't I can't escape. I can't escape my background. I can't escape my hometown. Right. But I just do not have that same amount of love for it that I do with Philly. Right. And, you know, like me and you. Philly, so yeah, Philly to me is home, right? And then there's there's LA me, there's LAU. Um, I'm now in Gothenburg. There's a Swedish me, like as you said, there's many incarnations of us. Yeah, but I don't know if it's the LA me. No, <laughs> mind you, oh. I left there as well. <laughs> huh? I left there as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm <laughs> struggling with L.A., man. All right. So when <laughs> when did you leave? When did you leave Harrisburg to get? Did you go straight to Philly from Harrisburg? Um, pretty much like so. I mean, it, I, dude, it's so many. It's so many. It's so many lives. Like, first of all, I didn't move to Philly until ninety seven, ninety eight. Uh, so it wasn't like it wasn't straight. I guess so. I guess you could say it was straight from Harrisburg. I, I like I was living in Memphis right before I moved to Philly. What was happening in Memphis? Uh, well, long story short, long. Um, <laughs> we got time. I ended. I ended my dance career around the early nineties, and uh, yeah, <laughs> so so I was dancing. Like, I, I mean, I was dancing all my life, uh, but I took dance serious. I started taking dance serious in the mid 80s. I was still breaking. Um, uh, I would be breaking all the time. With my boy, Johnny Castaneto. And um, 
And then I, I kind of like hip hop, everybody was doing hip hop. So I never really felt like I was into doing hip hop dances. It, it was pretty much, I went from break into house. But mm. hip hop dances is what everybody was doing anyway. So I never thought of myself like, oh, I'm, I'm hip hop, I'm breaking, I'm hip hop dancing. No, I'm breaking house because everybody's doing hip hop. Um, but I stopped dancing in the early 90s because I said to myself, who dances past the age of 30? No one. Ooh, that's a, that's one of those Western European ideologies of dance bodies. But I didn't get it from anybody. I was just like, I think I got it from my mom as a teenager. Uh, she she worked for the insurance company. Mm. And, you know, she was high up on the ranks. And she was, uh, she, um, she would just be in my ear. You need to have a, a job with benefits and, and insurance and so on and so on. And so, you know, that idea of like security was creeping in my head. And I just had this idea, like nobody, like girl, nobody dances beyond the age of 30. And so I stopped and I opened up my own graphic design business because I'm an illustrator. Um, I had an airbrush shop. I showed clothing. I was the first person in Harrisburg to sell. I, I was selling Echo clothing when Echo had a four-page black and white catalog. I still got the catalog somewhere. Um, <laughs> I was the first person to sell Echo in Harrisburg. I was the first person to sell PNB, Proud Nubian Nation, yeah. Mecca, uh, Fat Farm, Fat Albert. Um, ooh, I, I had a bunch of like, hey, I had a bunch of clothing lines I was selling and doing airbrushing. Um, and so that was my business until I got burnt out of doing that, mm-hmm. you know, talking like eight, nine o'clock in the morning to one in the morning, um, every day. Cause I was in a local mall, mm-hmm. uh, I initially opened up a partnership with my boy, Kevin, um, uh, with Kevin. And, uh, then he decided he didn't want to do it no more. So I kept going and I, I went into a local mall and, you know, I had mall hours, and I got—I basically got burnt out from doing that, and uh, moved to Memphis. My family's from Memphis, so I moved to Memphis to do some art down there. And I was working in a tattoo shop, designing stuff for them, and and painting and whatnot. And I did that for a while until I called my buddy at Nervous Records, Cyrus, just like, "Yo, what's going on? I ain't talked to you in a while, you know, whatever, whatever." Because I stopped dancing like completely. I didn't go to clubs much anymore. Um. I wasn't trying to perform nowhere, nothing. It was everything was art. It just took up my whole life. And um I put on all this weight because I was working in the mall. I didn't even know I put on all that weight. <clears throat> and then um when I decided that, well, the mall, you know how malls work, they're like big chains. So you got your yeah. anchor stores, all your little stores. Well, the mall we I was in had three anchor stores and they lost all three of them. Ooh. And are you talking watermakers? Closed down, then they lost J.C. Penney's. Then they lost um, this. This it was a company called Hess. They lost them. Then they got Macy's in, and then Macy's shut down, and they lost Macy's. So the mall was going under, but they still want to charge us prime rent. Right. So I hung in there as long as I could. <clears throat> and when when a jewelry store starts closing up, you know it's time to go. <laughs> 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 and, you know, one ring and they made rent when the jewelry store closes up 
and they were right across from me. I was like, it's time to go. Um, so I closed up and I moved to Memphis. I was painting down there. Um, long story short, I called my boy Cyrus. He was like, yeah, we just signed this new artist to our label. He played the song for me. And I immediately packed half my stuff out of my cousin's house and drove back to Pennsylvania the next morning. Called up my boy Stretch. was like, yo, I'm back, dude. I want to dance. Stretch said the same thing to me then as he said to me in the early 90s, move to New York. I petrified then to move to New York, was still petrified to move to New York in the mid-90s. So I was like, mm, nah, I'm going to move to Philly. All right, and quick question. Quick question. Who was the artist? Can you say? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. I, I don't, Cyrus doesn't work for Nervous anymore. I don't know how to get in touch with him. Um, he probably wouldn't remember, but her voice, like I hadn't listened to a house song in a minute. You know, Memphis, dude, they was 3-6 Mafia out. Yeah. Like 3-6 <laughs> Mafia, didn't even have, they didn't even have a record deal at the time. They were just in the clubs, banging. And I only went to Memphis clubs a couple of times. Um, Cause I, you know, I'm house. I don't want to hear hip hop. Right. Um, but Cyrus played that artist. All I remember is it just struck a chord. It was a beautiful female's voice and the beat was killing. And I wish I knew the artist. I wish I knew I would, I would play it right now. I wish I had it. We're going to have to, uh, if anybody knows Cyrus, uh, Monsell's friend Cyrus, we can get in contact so we can track down this, uh, solstress, of this right. of this house track so we could all be inspired and live by it that sounds like it's one for the record dude i drove 18 hours non-stop the only thing i stopped to do was pee and get gas i was gone I, he had that song had me so hyped literally the next morning half my stuff is still at my cousin's house <laughs> <laughs> i was gone I was gone. I was like, oh, I, got, I miss music. I miss dance. And I got to go. All right. So then you just mentioned a name that a lot of people might recognize. Buddha Stretch. Yep. You, Marcel, was also a part of Mop Top Crew, the infamous dance crew leaders in the hip hop, but you didn't like hip hop. How did this happen? How did you, how did you get into when, when did, when did Mop Top happen with you? With me? So Mop Top was an influence on me in the, in the eighties. Mm -hmm. So like, like I said, I grew up in a neighborhood, everybody danced, mm -hmm. you know, I learned how to dance on roller skates. We went to the roller skating ring every Friday, um, Saturdays too. And, um, Hell, Wednesday nights too, come to think of it. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh so when music when when MTV first started playing music videos and they finally playing rap videos, when they when they first started playing rap videos, you see, everybody got their dancers, right. right? Uh light got leg one and leg two. <clears throat> you know, uh uh Rap and Polo got uh Kevin and Sean, Big Daddy Kane got Scoob and Scrap. Uh, you know, hi hat had her click and that's in videos, and, and and Latifah got her dancers. I forget her dancers' names, and 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 um, 
I always have trouble with the women's name. You know, every every uh, uh, what's 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 the boy's name? What's the dude's? I can't even think of his name now. Slick Rick had his dancers. Like everybody got their dancers, right? Kwame. Everybody got their dancers. Kwame yeah. got 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 Peekaboo. Um, I, f- I forget the other bull's name. He got so everybody got their dances right, except Mop Top don't dance particularly for no group. They dance for everybody. So when you see Scuba Scrap, you only see them with Kane. Yeah. But when you see Mop Top, you might see them with Dougie Fresh. You might see them with Heavy D. And Heavy D got his dancers. But you still got Stretch and Link in Heavy D's videos. And they in this video. And that, I'm like, IOU dancers and, and Mop Top. I think Mop Top even more. Mop Top you would see in anybody's video. Um, IOU was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Like the first video you was in, I think, was uh, Tramp with Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper. When, when school what you call was with me? them. Yeah. <laughs> what you call me? Tramp. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, <laughs> school left, the, left them and you would see them, other people see them and, and Kim play and whatnot. Uh, but Stretch, I've seen them everywhere. So my everybody danced in my community. It wasn't no big deal that you danced. Mm-hmm. The, the big deal for me was, yo, you can be on TV doing this stuff we do in the clubs. Like everybody dances. So, but MTV ain't showing rap videos. But now they showing rap videos, and I see people on TV doing the stuff me and my friends is doing the club. I'm like, you be on TV doing this mess. So that I, I they inspired me, and I kept seeing them in so many different videos. I was like, I want to dance with them. Understand my language right now. I want to dance with them. Mm. Not, not I want to dance with Dougie Fresh. I want to dance with Moni Love. I want to dance with, no. I want to dance with them. Artists don't dance. Why in the hell would I want to dance for an artist? They don't <laughs> dance. Like, that's that's that wasn't my life. I'm, I'm hip hop now. I'm not the and and no disrespect, but I'm not the '90s, you know, choreo kids who came later. I want to dance with Beyonce and I want to dance with Britney and I want to. Da- I don't care about them. They don't dance. I want to dance with the dancers. So, um, being familiar, like being in a crew in Harrisburg, who was the best crew in Harrisburg, and so whenever promoters would bring like rappers or R and B artists or comedians and whatnot, oftentimes we got asked to open up. Who was your crew? What was your crew's name? Now, we had a couple different names. <laughs> so we had uh, NSC, which was the stupidest name ever. Uh, NSC was just three of us, and that was no self-control because we certainly didn't have any when music came <laughs> on. We lost, <laughs> we lost our minds and would just go berserk. And then we... We brought in the younger squad, and then we connect with some other cats through battling and whatnot. And then we created this other crew called uh, UHC, United House of Colors, because we had everybody in there. Like, like we we ain't care nothing about gender identity. We ain't care nothing about nothing. Like, everybody, like, you be gay, straight, this, that. Everybody was in our squad. The women was, we had five women that rocked. Um, the rest was all dudes, about 25 of us collectively. What? And 
you got Italian cats, you got Puerto Rican cats, you got black cats, you got uh um um Caribbean dudes is in there, you got uh we do we had a mix of everybody. Everybody was up in there and we just all rocked out together and we would go to clubs and just go nuts on people. And um yeah, so that that was this that was the squad. And um all right. So then how did you so then you were inspired so, by Stretch and all of them. How did you how did you get in touch with Stretch and Link to link up with so, them to dance with them, well, not for the artist? <laughs> right. So so I actually met. Man, I'm sorry I got a little sidetracked, but no, I actually it's good. Met, that's that's what stories is about. These are stories people yeah. need to hear. I guess. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um you know, being opening up for all these different groups. And getting to know them, befriending, you know, Kwame and, and, and Sweet Tea and, and all these cats. Um, I was familiar with, you know, protocol for when the show was going on. I knew mm-hmm. about sound check at the time and all this kind of stuff. So CC Peniston was coming to town and I knew when sound check was. So I was like, hey, I ain't paying for this. I'm going, I'm going down to sound. I, I know, I know everybody at the club they're gonna be performing at. I'm a local, I'm going down there, I know what time sound check, I'm gonna just get in. I did. So I don't know how I knew this man's name. I really do not know how I knew Stretch's name was Stretch. Because it's not like you in a music video and people call your name out. Right. There's no there's no credits. There's no like there's no IMDB. There's nothing for us to get reference to. None of that. So I don't know how I knew his name. But I went down there and I asked somebody. I was like, yo, I'm looking for Stretch. And it was like, yo, he's on the bus. So I go up to the tour bus, tap on the door, say, look, I, I can't remember if he came to the door or not, but anyway, we connected and dude was like incredibly receptive, very open. We just started chatting. He was like, he was like, yo, my, my dad used to actually work here in Harrisburg. He used to drive uh, up and whatever his job was, he would bring him to Harrisburg. Dude, we chopped it up that whole time before the show. He gave me all his math. Um, and it's like, yo, hit me up, stay in contact with me. So I watched the show, they rocked out. And, um, that's, that's basically how I met him. And, and he's been like a brother. He's been a true friend, um, uh, uh, an influencer. He's been a mentor ever since then. He, my dance partner for locking. And, um, he, like, I was cool with him before I was cool with anybody else in the crew. Mm-hmm. And so... Like, he would invite me to stuff. Um, he actually was going to put me on tour with Mariah. That's a whole other story. But <laughs> We'll come back to um, that. Noted. Come back to that. Um, and, uh, but, like, he would, like, you know, when when Mariah did, uh, like, Divas uh, at, 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 I forget what theater that was at in New York. Um, when she did Divas Live. The VH1 Divas. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh. You know, I met him. He's like, yo, come up. To, we about to do this live thing tonight. Come up, you know, here. And um, he was like, I can't put you in the crew until everybody else in the crew meets you. And so I was I was going to meet him. Uh, I wanted to meet him at the show. We backstage or whatever. And I'm, I'm with the dancers. I'm just kicking it. And then uh, Mariah shows up and she sees me, but she don't know me. Right. She sees I'm in the, the, the back room. It ain't really a green room, but it's the green room yeah. with the dancers before the show. And she's in the hallway talking to Stretch. 
And then she leaves, and then Stretch comes over to me. He's like, yo, man, I'm sorry, dude, but you don't have to leave. Because she saw you sitting here, and she don't know you. And so she was like, I don't know who that is. They got to go. <laughs> and so I thought, no problem. No, no biggie. So I bounced, and I went to the club. I went to Shelter. And um, Terry, I met Terry at Shelter. So Terry was the second person out of the clique that I met. And then uh, Terry and I right, just those who bonded, don't know dude. who Terry is. UK Terry, we became tight friends. And then, uh, like, I hung out with that dude more than I hung out with Stretch. And uh, him and his boy, Mike, Mike Euphoria, mm-hmm. uh, then my boy, then they boy, Lenny in Jersey, like, that's that was, the four of us was running. Um, and then, and then slowly but surely, I started meeting everybody else. I met Link, you know, it was a couple of nights I stayed at Link's house. Uh, the last person I met was Loose Joint. And then, um, you know, I was cool with everybody. And then we were at a, I forget what year, I want to say it was 98. Um, we were at a New Year's, I think it was a New Year's Eve party that Mariah was throwing. She wasn't there. <laughs> Full circle. She wasn't there. Yeah, she wasn't there, right? Okay. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know him. Was, I don't know him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm in the party. And we we vibing the party's kind of lit. We making it lit, and um, I can't believe I just said lit. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so we in the party is cooking, right? And uh, in that party, you know, the, the energy of all of us collectively was just a was a vibe, right? We were just mm-hmm. it was cohesion. And then um, Stretch was like, "Yo, man, welcome to the crew," and that was the night. I got I got down with Mop Top, and I think I'm still down with Mop Top. I don't know. They <laughs> like, don't been... Mop Top don't do nothing. Like, 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 like everything is. That's so, not so true. That's not true because no, wait, because y'all just did within the last two to th- now. I'm, now I'm, Corona time got me messed up. I'm going to say the last two to five years. Y'all did that YouTube series breaking down all the steps between hip. You did the hip. You did the correlation between hip hop and vernacular jazz. Uh, yeah. Lincoln Stretch did. Uh, they did a house lot. and hip. They brought Saquon the whole right. dictionary. Yeah. So don't tell me y'all don't tell, don't tell me my right. top don't oh. do nothing because y'all they just because y'all, y'all, y'all just schooled the entire world on old school. Well, most of, well, I say that because most of the stuff seems for me seems to be focused around Elite Force. Elite Force does everything. Ah, uh, okay. And even though it's the same crew, but it's not the same crew. It's two crews in one. Right. And um everything to me, everything is focused. I'm I'm not in Elite Force. Everything is focused on Elite Force. It was my dream to become Elite Force member, but that was um shitted on. Uh <laughs> You were an elite. <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't elite. I wasn't <laughs> so I couldn't be down. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's that's how I met Stretch in 90. And then I got down with the crew in 98. And um, damn, it took you eight they, years they, to get down. I stopped dancing. Oh, right. Touche. OK. I, I stopped dancing for about six years. See, so if, so maybe if you didn't stop dancing, maybe you would have been elite enough to get into elite force. I'm just saying that's that's your fault. You did that to yourself. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. 
Yeah, I tell you what, when they put me down, I was working hard to, to be down. I, I, was, I looked, I was getting I was getting people gigs, I was showing up to rehearsals, I was picking up choreography. I I guess I wasn't elite enough. Okay, let me so here's an interesting question. Since you mm-hmm. were quote unquote primarily a breaker houser, was your quote unquote introduction into Mop Top your introduction to really getting into hip hop. Like you, you like, again, hip hop wasn't a hip hop thing. It's, as you said, around us in our neighborhoods, everybody danced. Like, that's what we did. That's what hip hop is, it's community. But because you were saying that you were primarily a houser and you started, you went from breaking into housing, was Mop Top where you went more into? A a little bit. I mean, it, it definitely was my intro into like the history of New York. Mm and what hip hop was in New York in the eighties. Um, it, it, I studied, you can talk to cricket. I studied mop top. Mm. Like, dude, I studied, I studied all of their choreography, everything they've ever done. Um, I could, re- I could recite their, there's routines they did in the eighties. I still know how to do. I, I did a routine that they did from the nineties and I taught it to my students at USC and showed it to Lincoln Stretch, and they didn't even remember it. I was like, that's your choreography. <laughs> <laughs> like, I studied because I wanted to be down with them so much. I was like, I need to know how to move like them. I need to know how to pick up the movement that they do. So, so they were, I would just study. They were your like video, uh, rhythm nation. They were my rhythm nation. And I mean, cricket to tell you, I spent hours studying them. And my thing was, I was like, all right, I, I I looked at the crew like this. Stretch and Link got got Stretch Link and Ja got mm-hmm. hip hop on lock. That's that's the squad for hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. You got Terry and Ejo got house on mm-hmm. lock. I'm looking at all the dynamics. I'm like, you know what ain't on lock? None of them are good lockers. They not strong lockers. Mm-hmm. Right, they, they either hip hop or they house. They not there's no strong lockers except for stretch. So I'm like, boom. What what I'm trying to think of like, what am I bringing to this click? Right, you got Ejo who is phenomenal with house and Terry and stretching them and killing hip hop. You got they, they doing it. So yeah. what am I bringing? So I was like, all right, let me up my locking game. I literally spent two years do I I stopped doing everything pretty much but locking. I dressed like a locker. All I did was lock all day. My locking game got strong because I wanted to be like, I'll be Stretch's partner in locking. That's what I'm bringing to this to this squad. And I became Stretch's locking partner. And because um, I had to, I had to like, what am I bringing? So right. that's what I did. And you talk to anybody back then, they'd be like, yo, all that fool did was lock. I had locking outfits every day. I was dressed like lockers. It was crazy. And and that was to you know to bring some value to what they were already doing, um, and again my hopes was like they would see what I'm bringing and my effort and that I vibe and I'm clubbing I'm hanging and we doing all that that I would one day be elite force and then um, you know couple couple of friends took the took the they pulled the curtain back it's like dude that's never gonna happen yeah <laughs> I had to be like all right it's not a man can dream. Uh, uh, yo, not all dreams are meant to happen. All right. So then you mentioned, you mentioned Terry and you mentioned cricket yep. and you mentioned yep. Philly. 
all three of y'all ended up dancing for not a group, but this man who had this company, who has this company, Rennie Harris Pure Movement. Yes. You were with Rennie for 10 years. Yes. How did you get from not dancing for six years <laughs> to going into Mop Top into dancing with Rennie? Explain yourself. All right. So in 98, I moved to, it was 98, whatever, 97, 98. 97, 98. Right. I moved to Philly and I want to get back into dancing. And I was, before I'm, before I moved to Philly, I was hanging out in Philly. I was on South Street. Um, I went to this store. I think the store was called Inferno. Yes, and there Cricket. was a store in Inferno, <laughs> South Street. Right. right. So Cricket used to work there. And me and my me and my boys, we go in the store and I see Cricket at the counter and he's sketching. And I draw. So I check him out. And we start talking and then, you know, talking about drawing and graffiti. And then that quickly changes into dance, music and dance. And come to find out, we go to some of the same clubs. We know some of the same people. So Cricket and I, we, 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 you know, we become fast friends, exchange information and whatnot. And then I'm still living in Harrisburg and I would run into Cricket because I would take the bus. (laughs) These are the days of taking the bus. I would take the bus, the Greyhound bus to New York. Because Greyhound is 68 what? or less. Yeah. Sorry, that was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would end up, I'd be going to the shelter and then we in Philly and here's Cricket <coughs> getting on the bus and going to Philly. So we, you know, we just become friends. And before I moved to Philly, I'd be staying at his house and we'd go to New York, go to the club, come back. I would stay at his house in Philly before I go back to Harrisburg. And then so he tells me one day, he was like, yo, I'm in this group. I'm dancing for this company called uh, RHPM, Rennie Harris Movement. And he was like, we're, um, we got a show coming up at the, what was it, the Merriam Theater? Merriam Theater, yep. I go, I see the show, like flipping blows my mind because I see them, I see me on stage. I see us as yeah. a people, you know? Our gestures, our colloquialisms, our everything is just presented. Our dance, our music is just presented in the way it's presented in the community. And I'm like, yo, this is dope. And then he tells me, like, yo, Rennie's having an audition, a live audition. Rennie never has auditions. So I think Rennie's had two auditions that I know of. In like 30 Um, years. (laughs) Right, right. So he has this audition. I'm already in mop top. Terry and Bobby come with me to the audition. So we do the audition. It's about, I got it on video somewhere, but it's about, I'm going to say it's about 20 people at the audition. I'm the only one that got hired. So, and at one point, Rennie's like teaching us progressive stuff down the floor and I'm doing the thing and he joins it. He's doing, he's doing a movement from asphalt students of the asphalt jungle. One mm-hmm. of his most famous uh, for repertory. And so we going down the floor doing that and he joins in with me. So he and I kind of got a vibe going down the floor. Now the other thing is Rennie's the tallest person in his company, <laughs> right? Rennie's still dancing at this time. Rennie's still performing in the shows. So most of the company members are like five, two, five, five, 
know, five, maybe five, six. Maybe five, six. There's no one taller than five, eight. I can tell you I remember that clearly. Right. So I'm six foot. Rennie is, I think, six, one, six, six two. two, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, yo, like somebody my height. I got the locks and then, you know, so he, he, he saw something in me. I can't say what he saw something in me. And he liked the fact that, that there was some comparable in height. And, um, cause you're dope. Whatever. I wasn't that dope. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, if you see Terry wasn't auditioning. The, the 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 solo freestyle or whatever you want to call it when we did a cipher yo what terry threw down that shit was that separates professional dancer from everybody else in the room like it was ridiculous like that solo was nuts but he wasn't auditioning um, he just got down he was yeah he just got down but it's like clearly this dude has been doing this for a minute mm. And like, like you said, if I would have stayed dancing, because when I left dance is the period, like the hip hop dancers that became house dancers in New York, the nineties was, is I stopped by 91. Mm. I was, done. um, that was the moment, right. That was the moment where shit just excelled. Like, yeah. you know, you talk about the bar downstairs in the bar, like, I have been to Mars, the Club Mars. I've been to Sound Factory. I've been to Sound Factory Bar twice. Um, I've been to the world in Alphabet City. I went to Shelter. But when it really took off and cats was really honing their skills in the clubs, I wasn't there. So I didn't go to that next level that cats was at. But the vocabulary was already familiar to me. So when I came back, I was like, oh, I know what y'all doing. And I just jumped in. But mm. I personally ever felt like I reached my I got to my whatever my top game I never I never felt like I got there um I got strong and I I was really good but I never felt like I reached my my peak um but anyway I've seen you I've danced with you I've clubbed with you I've gotten down with you shut up hey, shut your pie I'm, hole, hard, bro. I'm hard on myself we yeah, all are but I so what people no. don't know is we've had this conversation many times on the phone about you doubting yourself. We're going to get into that later. We're going to keep talking for a little bit. We're going to get back into that a little bit later. Cause now I want to say, cause then, uh, so you went from breaking to house to hip hop to with Rennie and Afro influenced house type movement. I would say, I wouldn't even say Afro house movement. I would just say more, I just said colloquial, more more of our people. Like Rennie takes. Yeah, I mean, but Rennie, <clears throat> the thing with Rennie is being with Rennie exposed me to theater, mm-hmm. which I had never thought about. Oh, and 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 just and just to make a full circle, I stopped dancing because I figured nobody dances pat beyond the age of 30. I might right. as well get it. When I started dancing with Rennie, I just turned 30. <laughs> when I moved to Philly, I was about to turn 30. There it is. And started my career then. Um, but being with being with pure movement, it exposed me to being in theater, it, it exposed me to other dance forms. And so, you know, I started taking contact improv classes with Myra Bazell at um 
Kumquat Studios on 4th and South. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took a couple of Dunham classes on, uh, uh, I forget the name of the studio. It was across the street from CEC, like up a block or Gwen, something. Gwendolyn uh, Bai. Because uh, I danced with, the, the company was Dance Fusion, but the studio, because uh, Jay Allison taught there. Yes, it's, it was on 35th Lancaster, right across from CEC. Yeah. I danced there as yeah. well. Yeah. So I, I took, uh, 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 not a lot. I took a couple of Dunham classes there. Um, I was actually visiting the studio with, with Joan Myers Brown, director of Philodanko. And, mm-hmm. and when I saw them doing um, Dunham, and I was like, I could do that. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, <laughs> I was looking at it like, I was looking at it I was like, yo, that's dope. And I was like, I could do that. Because usually when I see stuff in studios, I'm like, yeah, my body don't move like that. <laughs> I like it. Like, I was like, I like ballet. I like, you know, modern. I like it, but I was like, my body don't move like that. My, I'm not even interested in moving like that. But when I saw Dunham, I was like, that looks cool. And I could do that. Um, so I took a couple of classes. I'm sorry I didn't keep going. But, it, you know, I got I got exposed because Philly is such a rip-tap community. Mm-hmm. I started taking private lessons. Um uh, from Robert Burton, who studied with, uh, studied with, um, uh, uh, what was that? What was that? He was at US, UARTS, Elder, Vaughn, Vaughn Robinson. Oh, wow. That's uh, a name I haven't heard in years. Yeah. Robert studied under LaVon. And um, I even met Questlove's mom, who met me in the studio and showed me some steps because Quest moms can tap. Yeah. She's a tap dancer. So you, you she some- even showed you want to know something really funny? When I was in Los Angeles, I ended up teach. I ended up teaching Questlove's mom <laughs> in, one of, in one of my street classes. She's like, "Yeah, my son's from Philly. You're from Philly. My son's from Philly, but you might know. Oh, he does. He do. I was like, "Are you telling me your son is Quest?" She's like, "Oh yeah, you know him." I was like, the- <laughs> "Mom's gets down, bro. Mom's gets her classes in yeah. still this day, still." Yeah. Oh, for real? Yeah. I met. I met her. She met me at UArts, but she wasn't. She didn't have the time to like, she was, she was like, what you got there is nice and whatnot, but she didn't have the time to like teach me or anything. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, um, you know, I got exposed to spoken hand, which was at the time, I don't know if they're still together, but it was like a 16 piece drum ensemble of different mm-hmm. types of drums. I performed with them a couple of times and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm being with Rennie, I was exposed to different music to different ideas, the sense of what theater was, the approach to it. And that opened me up to start studying other forms of dance. That's literally what my next question was. How was this your lead in or what how, what got you to lead in into your study of what we vernacular, what we call traditional jazz and the anthropology of how it start, where it came from and to where it is now with all the dance styles in there. Yeah, well, I've been doing Lindy since I was a kid. Oh, you skipped um, that part. Yeah, I skipped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if I if I if we dial it all the way back, my first exposure to music was my dad. Mm-hmm. My dad was and still is, I think, an avid jazz fan. And at the time, he played five different instruments, self-taught. He played the piano, the sax, the vibraphone, the flute, and congas. 
he taught me how to play the congas. He taught me a little bit on the piano, and he, and he taught me a little bit on the vibes, on the mm-hmm. vibraphone. And um, I was taking piano lessons for about a year, and then I stopped. Um, and I wish I wouldn't have. But when I was a baby, before I could crawl, my dad wanted me to love music. So he removed the toys from my bassinet and connected speakers and played classical music and jazz music for me to go to sleep to every night. And by the age of two, I was hooked to Louis Jordan. Just like, oh, that's what you played to shut me up was Louis Jordan. And uh, Louis Jordan and Timpani Five, who was like the sort of the progenitor of jump blues, people would mm-hmm. say. He was like, he was it. He was number one. Like if you had to, if you looked at the music charts from one to five, it was Louis Jordan. Every week, Louis Jordan was number one in the first five spots. Uh, until he got knocked out by Charles Moore with this really slow song, which I'll never understand how that beat. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, so I'm already hooked on jazz music. That's already my thing. And then um, I forget how I forget how I actually got into Lindy, but do, doing doing the social dances of the 20s, 30s, and 40s, I was learning as a kid with my elders. And um, I had video footage of Lindy hopping and start and started learning. So I'm learning stuff from my elders. I'm learning stuff from the tapes. I'm seeking out people uh, in the community that know how to do this. But at the same time, so from, from my elders, I'm getting dances from the 20s, 30s, and 40s. My mom was a social dancer. My dad was a social dancer. And they're teaching, well, not my dad, but my mom and her friends I'm, from them, I'm learning dances from the 50s and 60s. So I already got 20s to 40s from the elders. My parents, I'm learning, you know, the 50s and 60s. So I'm growing up in the 70s. My mom teaches me how to dance on roller skates. Um, so we we skating. Hip-hop becomes a thing. I'm, so it's, all of it's combined, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm still doing Lindy Hop as, at this time. Uh, so when I'm breaking, I'm still doing Lindy. I'm still dancing on skates. I'm trying to pop a little bit of locking. Uh, Hip hop becomes a thing. I just add that to the mix. Now I'm doing all of this. House becomes a thing. I just add it to the mix. I'm doing all of this. And at some point, I let when I got into house, I let everything else go. Mm-hmm. I stopped everything. House was just that was it. That was my spiritual space to be. That was how I commune with the higher power. Was house. I stopped doing everything else. Um, and I got back into it because once I was with Rennie, uh, what happened was for the first two years, I was an apprentice in the company, right? Just learning repertory. Mm -hmm. My first performance with the company was in 2000. So those first two years, 98, 99, when the company would go on tour, Cricket and Raphael had a weekly class that they taught at Kumquat. So they were like, listen, to keep our students you take over our classes so we don't lose our students while we're on the road. That's what got me to teaching. I never wanted to teach. And I didn't know how to teach when they did that. So I'm just in there like, I'm trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first 40 minutes of my class was pretty much an aerobic class, like straight up, jumping up and down, calisthenics, like all dance movements, crazy. Uh, people came to my class because it was a dance class, but you was really getting in shape. <laughs> but that's what started me teaching 
and I started figuring it out. And then I got hired at University of the Arts. I got hired. I don't know which came first. I had to check my CV, but I got hired at University of the Arts and Drexel around the same time. Mm. I think I think a semester apart. Um, but when I got hired at UArts, I thought to myself, this is a private institution. These students are paying like, I think it was like $60,000 or something at the time. So I said, I know what they're going to try to do. They want to make me the hip hop relief. Oh, you're going, here's a nice hip hop class where the students take away from their real technique classes. And people actually said that to me. So I said to myself, nah, they're going to get the real stuff. So I want, if they're paying $60,000, this is not some $12 class, you know, in the middle of the week and mm. dance to anywhere in USA, they're paying big bucks. So I need to give them something worth their value. Right. So that's when I started reflecting back on everything I had learned growing up. And that sent me into this deep dive, um, wanting to provide them with something of value that talked about movement and historical references and the importance of this information. And uh, so they wouldn't look at like, oh, hip hop's a joke from now. And that's what sent me into that. That ultimately, I, I furthered that dive because of something that Rennie said to me. And he said to me, we're at his house one day going through some books and he recognized that one of the things that was different in me than most of the other dancers, that I was really invested. Like I was reading, I was trying to learn. The rest of the dancers, like I love them, but they didn't care. Mm. Like, like when we would go on the road, we would get our itinerary. I'm gonna come back to finish this, but mm. quick story. When we would go on the road, we used to really used to send our itineraries almost a week before we left, right? I would get my itinerary, see where we're going, and I would call. This is when we had phone books. Mm-hmm. I would call the local studio in the area we were going, and I would set up classes for me either while we were there or I would set up for me to come back and invite them to the show, but I wouldn't give them free tickets. I was just like, I can't give you free tickets, but we're going to be in town. I know the show that dance studio, this might be something y'all into if you teach hip hop, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm hustling. I did this everywhere we went and the rest of the rest of the company, they would just be laid in a hotel, sleep, do the show. I'm hustling and I'm diving deep into the history of it. And none of them cared. They like, Half of them didn't go to clubs. Me and Cricket was really the only ones that really went to clubs and got it in. Mm-hmm. A couple of them would show up every now and then, but it wasn't part of their life like that. So Rennie notices I'm really involved in like the history and stuff. And um, he says to me one day, he's like, Sal, <clears throat> know your stuff, but no emphasis, their stuff. And he's like, because anytime you, anytime anyone tries to dismiss the value of what you're saying, you use their information to prove your point because they believe that mm. thing. So now I'm at UArts. I'm, I'm auditing the modern classes. I'm, I'm auditing the African classes. I'm auditing the ballet classes. I'm studying how people teach. I'm studying the verbiage. I'm getting a sense of what students are getting, what is normal, to help craft how I'm going to get this information for them to understand. I am digging deeper into my heritage and understanding the relationship. I'm re-examining jazz dances and I'm looking at how it's connected to hip hop. I spent two years going through every hip hop dance I'd ever known from some of these are not considered hip hop, but from the seventies 
to uh, that was early 2000s mm-hmm. and breaking down what the movement is. What is the correlation? How is this connected? I went through every one of them. And I, that's where I came up with the four bounces. And so I'm doing this. This sends me into um, um, examining the way we move to, to music. And the thing that the, the, the burning question in my mind was, why do black folks do this? Mm, I'm not in my head, head y'all. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm like, and, and that that brought on another question. Not only do we physicalize it, we verbalize it, and then we have an emotion to it. We have a movement, an emotion, and a verbal response. Whenever we hear a song that's like fire, right? And I would see anybody do the exact same thing, say the exact same thing, give me the same face. And they'd be like, Damn. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I was like, what the hell is that? Like, what is that? Why do we do that? So I started um, researching books on neuropsychology, specifically the effects that music has on the brain. Dance so anthropologist, ladies book- and gentlemen. I wasn't kidding. I'm in the, I'm in the, so, you know, I, I'm in Philly. I'm living in Philly now. Um, I'm, I'm about seven blocks from Rittenhouse Square. Rittenhouse Square is kind of like the center of downtown mm-hmm. Philly. And right at the corner of 18th and Walnut is Barnes & Noble. So I'm always in the park. So I'm hanging out in Barnes & Noble. I come across this book by Daniel Liberton called uh, This Is Your Brain on Music. And I read the, I almost read the whole damn book. I sat in Barnes & Noble and almost read the whole book sitting in Barnes & Noble that day. Barnes and Noble's about to close, kicking us out. So I bought the book because I wanted to finish reading it. And then reading that, and I'm looking at quotes, and he's quoting this from this conference, and he's quoting this book. So I go buy those books, and I go looking for conferences and stuff. And and I ended up joining, uh, I forget what the the the, the initial stuff for, but Chord Chord was a conference that dealt with was around music. I forget the name of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the acronym was. Um, but there was cord. I, um, by the time I started working at Drexel, Mariam Shagir, who was the director at the time, my former dance director, my, huh? my former dance director. Okay. Um, she saw my interest, like how I got hired at Drexel is actually a- absolutely insane. Tell it, but, um, I'll would, bring you back. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Miriam saw my interest in, you know, research mm-hmm. and she took me to do- doing her research. She wanted me to speak at a national dance educators organization. She wanted me to, 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 to co-present with her on something she was presenting and wanted and brought me in to talk. And so that's how I joined NDEO. Cause I was like, Yo, this is dope. Like people just come together and present papers and talk about dance and be in disguise. I was I was in. So I joined, I'm still a member of NDEO. As a matter of fact, I just wrote a, a eight-week course, online course for NDEO, um, which I think is coming out next year. But anyway, so this, this like now I'm I'm like I'm deep into anthropology. I'm like, I'm like gone, like I'm reading different books on neuropsychology and I'm studying the brain and I'm a nerd for this stuff. And that sent me to uh, what the neuropsychology sent me to study in anthropology. 
Hmm. Because I'm still, my whole thing was like, I need to understand me and my folk better. Mm-hmm. So which means I need to understand the language. So I started reading books on um, linguistics. I think the first book I had was Geneva Smitherman's um, Talking and Testifying. And then it just, I just kept building from there, studying different books on linguistics. You posted something about that. Did I? Talking and Testifying. Or did you do, I've oh, seen. Oh, no, I did I did a I did a I did a podcast in Sweden with uh, was it Momar Momar College? Yes, Momar that's what it is. I was like, yeah, I know yeah, this. That, yeah, that was the title. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that that so I'm studying linguistics. I'm studying neuropsychology. I'm studying anthropology oh, now. Mm-hmm. I'm studying. I started studying archaeology, um, and studying ethnomusicology. Well, I was studying musicology first, and then I got into ethnomusicology, but I still didn't really delve deeply into that. Um, and so those, I was like, those are the things to understand us. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I need to understand. I need to understand the why behind the what. And so I was just in all that material, and I'm figuring out how to make it make sense so I can share it with students. And I started studying anatomy because I was like, I'm watching these ballet classes. I'm like, all right, you know, I've never been to a dance class. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, all right, I need to understand how the body works mechanically. I need to, if I'm going to be teaching, and if if they're getting a certain caliber of information from their teachers, I need to be on par. And so I need to know what muscles we're using to do this movement so that I can warm you up properly, so I can stretch you properly. I need to know how to warm you up so that what we do in the warm up is actually done in the class. I've seen people do warm ups. They got nothing to do with what they do in the class and blows my mind. <laughs> dude, I was in, I was in Poland and this young dude, I forget what country he was from. We were teaching at this thing and I watched his warm up Cause it was a bunch of, it was a couple cats. there was supposed to be teaching hip hop. This dude is the only one who had a hip hop warm up, Right. He got them rocking and bouncing and all this stuff. But then when he goes to do his class, complete other kind of choreography moving. They got nothing what he, nothing to do with what he just did. So I talked to him about it afterwards. He never thought about that. He had never thought about that. I'm like, hey, well, okay. That, anyway, that's another story. Yeah, but, yeah, that's a whole nother so, episode to talk about. That's yeah. <laughs> so I, so that, that was it for me is put, bringing those things together, understanding how to teach, um, to 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 get the students to get it. And then one time, what furthered that investigation into anatomy was I brought Brian Green to teach at UArts. Mm-hmm. Now, Brian grew up uh, studying at Joffrey and Ailey. Like, as a matter of fact, Desmond Richardson confirmed it with me. He was like, yeah, I went to, me and Brian went to Ailey together at the same time. He's like, Brian is the one that introduced me to house clubs. So Brian has that movement in his body. Mm-hmm. He understands anatomy. So to watch Brian teach house, he knows how to take that that training and relate it to house movement and to get people in their bodies. And I was like, that's I need more of that. So I I, I took deep Brian has always influenced me that way. Mm-hmm. He influenced me as a as a dancer, as a mover, but the, the intellectual side of anatomy and how the body moves, he's had a big influence on me. And so I just kept that. Um, and that's, that's kind of like, that's been the gumbo. That's been the mix. And the secret sauce is actually my curiosity. Dope. 
my curiosity has been the like thing that drives me. I have learned more about myself and about life because of my curiosity to understand movement and 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 not just my people, but people yeah. and how we move. So you know, I lived in Poland for a time, and I had I had one of those times. Sometime while I was there, I had the pleasure of studying the mazurka from the the the, the generation of the family that the dance comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was in London for a time, and I studied uh, 18th century court dances. And I'm just I just love social dances. I don't care where it comes from. This is so going down the rabbit hole is actually a good thing for you. Actually, yeah. going down the rabbit hole is not just a good thing for you. It's a good thing for all of us because now you're educating the educating the people about dance. I'm trying. So you're not even trying. You're doing it because last summer. So you have so last summer you started doing these little snippets on Instagram, giving little nuggets of information like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to school you guys on Instagram. And then there were so many people watching, it actually developed into pretty much an online course, Intangible Roots. Like you had Intangible Roots, but it actually jumped off with Instagram last summer. Yeah. Which actually is, if I'm not mistaken, you're releasing a new one, a new summer course in a week or two. Yeah. And uh, July 3rd would be the first day for, for summer 21, 2021. July 3rd would be the first class. All right, and this so, time, because the way the months are, it's going to be five classes instead of four. Okay. So we're going to plug this in a second because this episode today is the 1st of July. So in two days, is going to be coming out. So if y'all didn't sign up yet, y'all best to get... We, we, okay, hold, hold on. Talk, talk, I want to I get into... I want to get into... Talk to the people about Intangible Roots because I love it. It is... So much, and there are so many different ways you go into information and connecting it and bringing it back. So, so for me, over the last year and a half, I've been very inspired by this by my brother Monsell right here. I'm still shocked that he calls me and asks me shit <laughs> because this is my resource for it. anything I need to know about dance. This is the first person that I call, and in the last year and a half, I've been called on to teach the history of. Uh, jazz because I'm a, what is considered jazz dance um, in the Western European sense of it. I teach that, but I also know the history of the vernacular jazz. And because I grew up in hip hop, I know how to connect that as well, especially in the late eighties, early nineties, when we became the dancers on MTV as well, how that all flipped around. But in intangible roots, you went from, you brought in the tap history of it, you brought in how to like the study of rhythm in it. You brought in how it's connected to this. So all this information that you've, all this self exploring exploration that you did, that's what self exploring is exploration, whatever <laughs> you drop, drop, drop the knowledge on intangible. Just bang it. Boom. Well, um, I came up with the idea in 2010, somewhere, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And this is because of, <laughs> Uh, two, in 2007, I was in Russia and I was teaching for some organization, I forget. And I met the president of SID, which is the Council for International Dance. Mm-hmm. And, um, he and I hung out for like a week while I was at this conference. And um, SID is housed in the same facility as UNESCO in Paris. Um, and so... 
meeting him hit me to UNESCO. And then so I'm studying UNESCO and they have a they have an intangible cultural heritage page. And when you go to their website and go through all their stuff and I'm reading that, I'm like, yo, it's like anything that's dealing with culture and heritage, I was just geeked up about. So I'm reading this intangible cultural heritage and, and how UNESCO works because and it's a whole other story. So, all right, let me let me just tell it. <laughs> stop me. I mean, there's nuggets, go. dude. Just stop. Go, me go. Stop. So I met the president, Alkis Raft, this is his name. He comes up to me. He says, I want to do for hip hop what we do for other cultures. It's 2007. And what Sid does is Sid goes, they're, they're supported by UNESCO, right? Mm-hmm. They work in partnership. They go to countries like, say they go to Peru. They go and say, oh, they study the folklore, right? They get with all the elders and they say, well, what, what is the folklore of Peru? Oh, it's this dance, it's this song, it's this custom, it's this food, it's this you know, music, just traditions, whatever. They safeguard that by making that by being able to present that to the correct officials, government officials, that it's now taught in schools. So in 2007, he comes up to me, he's like, I want to do for hip hop what we do for all the other countries to look at hip hop as a folklore of, a, of the United States that should be taught in, in schools, which it so should. He, right. So he and I go through this whole thing of putting it together. He's like, but this is the thing we have to get everybody in the, in it, to agree. And I was like, that ain't going to happen. Gonna happen. <laughs> that's where we, that's why we're at where we are now. Cause that just do. I, but let me tell you, like, I love my people, but they ignorant. And and some people um, might be jealous or just clueless. And, 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 then be, and then instead of thinking collectively, they go about self. I had so like, I put out, I sent out massive e- uh, um, uh, messages on Facebook to, to elders and people I thought would be in it. A lot of people was like, well, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, who's this? And who are you? And blah, blah. I'm like, y'all are missing the big picture. But anyway, yeah. you can't, can't get people on the same page, so it don't happen. But anyway, all of that gets me enthralled in, you know, what is happening with UNESCO and SID. So I see this intangible cultural heritage. Gives me the idea to come up with intangible roots mm-hmm. as the focus of what I want to do and how I want to present what I do and what I've been studying. And that's been a thing. So I never know what, never knew what to do with it. So I just had it and it's just sitting there. And like, mind you, prior to 2007 and 2001, I created a dance certification for hip hop specifically geared towards teachers. So how to teach teachers, how to teach hip hop. And that I never, (laughs) sort sort of, yeah, sort of. (laughs) Right. uh, uh, um, I never came out with it, never did nothing with it. And then fast forward to COVID, COVID hits, and I'm just like, I want to do something. I want to offer. It's like people have always talked about they, you know, they wish they could come to my classes and what I teach at USC and whatever. But, they, you know, I was like, y'all got to be a student. You, just, you can't just drop in. I sneak a couple of people in if I could. But, mm. you know, I, you know, so... I was like, all right, let me do something. I'm seeing people doing these live things. I'm like, all right, let me, let me give it a try. Y'all. And then I think I did one. <laughs> and my naivete, I committed myself to doing 10 weeks, going live for an hour, talking about all things, dance, culture, music, whatever. 
And after the first one, I was like, I can't believe I just said I would do this 10 times. (laughs) 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 What did I just do? And so I'm in it now. I got to commit. And it was so funny. Like, I just, it's what I do. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to share with, I just want to, I just want to put people on this stuff. And when I was doing, when I was doing the first one, my dance daughters hit me up because at towards the end of the first live, I'm telling people like, yeah, if you go to my Vimeo page, I got some video clips for y'all to check out. And I took video clips from my documentary. And I was like, some other, y'all can go and check out these clips and whatever. Just here's my stuff. And then somebody wrote in the thing, uh, uh, what is it? Vim, Vim, Venmo? Venmo. Yeah. The pay, the pay app. Yeah. So I see Venmo and I'm like, nah, not Venmo, Vimeo. Like that's where the videos of Vimeo, not Venmo. I don't even know what Venmo is. Yeah. My, my, I'm on live. My dad's daughter is texting me on my phone. She's like, no dad, they're trying to give you money. I was like, oh, I didn't realize. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm not, I'm not thinking about getting money for this. I'm just doing it. And um, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I I do have that. Okay, whatever. So the whole thing was, I was like, yo, it's COVID's going on. People can't leave the house. Um, Let me let me try to offer something to somebody. And I didn't even realize but somebody else. Why not? Told me this. B-Boy, why not? Told me this. He was like, yo, yours was the you were the first one to do that in COVID to go live talking about dance in the way that you were talking about dance. Like nobody was the first one. And then everybody started coming along with their little shows and their little, and not, mm-hmm. not be business, but you know, everybody had their thing. Yeah. And it was funny. And this is, this is no shade to my sister. Cause I think she's, she's like my little sister. She calls me brother. Um, but it, it just, it just goes to show in a whole different realm, how you, the support you have and what you do to how to work, what you do. You know, I was the first person on Camille did a, uh, she came up with a thing. Um, social dance or social social distance for social dance or something like that. I forget. And um, I was the first guest on her thing. Camille got a write up in the New York times. It's like this online thing. I'm like, y'all been like Camille's been in my class every week. I've been doing this, but, <laughs> but, but like to her genius, Camille has a, uh, an amazing su- support team, you know, and they like, they know how to, they know how to work that. They know yeah. how to like, Oh, we, can do this and we can call these people. I didn't have that. But I was already I was already doing a thing and a lot and why not got me really like yeah you were the first one to do that. So the whole thing was to just you know be able to share some stuff while people while they while they in quarantine. And um I did 10 of them and then again living in my naivete and just trying to share with people, I thought, you know what would be cool if I do this on Zoom and that way we can do something and I can actually be in conversation with you because the thing about live and Instagram, the only person talking is me. Right. And I, I can't see nobody. I see comments, but I want to see you. I want to see your face. And I want you to ask a question. I want interaction. Right. I want all of that. And so I was like, let's go live. And then that way we can actually talk and y'all can ask each other questions. And, you know, we, everybody's an inter- in, in, it's an interactive thing collectively. And so I set up a Zoom, not realizing that I just spent actually 12 weeks. I did 12 lives. That 12 lives was the advertisement to go to an actual online where I would charge. I only charge $25. 
Mind you, and I was like, tw- mind you, 12 weeks is a freaking semester in freaking university. Well, we, I mean, but we only met once a week. Still. Yeah. So the amount, they, the they, amount they, of knowledge, the, the amount of knowledge that you were dropping in that one hour yeah, was like, like a year people, of school. <laughs> and I realized that. And like Michelle, uh, Michelle Bird McPhee from Ladies of Hip Hop. She Who was going to be talking to later. She was like. You got you got you sharing too much. You know, I was like, I, you know, I was like, Michelle, I have weeks and weeks of this stuff. I could go on forever, and I'm thinking like it's only once a week. I teach 16 weeks. I, I teach 16 week course lecture course meets twice a week. I was like, I, I can do this forever, yeah. and I was like, I can go. I got over 300 years of material to dive into. We can go in the 1600s. We can go. In, I'm like, I got plenty. And um, and then she started realizing, it was like, okay, yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, yeah, those twelve weeks were the advertisement for people to be like, oh, I'm gonna take these this four week course. I hadn't even thought of that. I wasn't trying to advertise for something later. I was just sharing. And when I did do the twelve, uh, when I did do the four week course where people pay for it, my brain was that we can all interact, right? We can mm-hmm. be in here as a community. Not realizing, not thinking over 200 people would sign up. You can't have a conversation. That's too many. No, right. I, I, in my mind, it was going to be like, eh, it might be 25 people in here. And we, you know, we have it. And then everybody can talk and we can do the thing. Yo, that I was amazed because for four weeks, there were a consistent 200 people every week. And then the week where I talked about like racism, pretty much like blackface and that. There was like 300 people. And I was just like, I was blown away. I was like, like, wow. Like I, I did not expect that. And um, people was like, yo, when are you going to do this again? So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try to throw a winter course together. Did that. And now we back at the next summer and I've, I've upped it. Like I got a bunch of stuff about to come out now. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's where we at. And this, this is be the second summer. Okay. So Instagram at Intangible Roots. Uh, it, it, yeah, Instagram. Well, the Instagram there's at Intangible Roots and then there's Munsell Durden. I'm trying to get everybody to, everybody's on the Munsell Durden one, but I'm trying to get them to go to Intangible Roots. I haven't so, really been trying. So we're not, we're not ending yet because we still have one more segment to do. We actually have to do another conversation because I still haven't talked to you about half the shit that we need to talk about. And we haven't even gone to half of our personal conversations either about the number of places you've been teaching us and us in Malmo, Sweden, you being in Gothenburg, Sweden, like, bro, our, we, 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 we cross yeah, continents, but oh, yeah. so, so real quick. So you can follow Monsell personally, if he allows you to at Monsell Durden, but to get into intangible roots, it's at intangible roots on Instagram. And you can go to monselldurden.com and connect to intangible roots that way. Yeah, that's where you sign up. Yeah, you sign up for the courses. Go to MunselDurden.com, which come the, the fall twenty twenty one will be IntangibleRoots.com. They can go there and sign up. Um, but right now, MunselDurden.com to sign up. Click on online course to get the information, and you can click on shop to pay for the classes. Listen, I told y'all fools. And going to be, what's that? And get merchandise. And and get merchandise. Oh, yo! I saw I saw the I saw the sketches of the merch. I want, I want one of the, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. Dude, I'm coffee it. cup, clippers, phone cases, hats, socks, Bruh. shirts, everything, bags, everything. Bruh.
right, so listen, I already said it. We got to do this again because there is so much more we can talk about that we need to talk about. We haven't covered half. This this was just the history of who you are. <laughs> we didn't even get into all the stuff that really happens. We didn't even get into like the uh, the plateau parties in Philly. We didn't even get into clubbing in Wall Street, uh, Walnut Street. We didn't. Yo, there's so, right. Yeah. So we're going to do this again. But you know this. And the listeners know this. There's one more sequence that I always do. One more segment I always do before we sign off. It's the roulette table. Right. I'm nervous. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a segment. For those that don't know that might be tuning in for the first time, my last name is Gamble. And I play off that every now and then. I have a roulette table here, which is filled with 16 shot glasses. So typically... Each shot glass represents, there's a, each glass has uh, different numbers on it, and each glass represents a different question. Um, normally, if we're in the studio, if we would be together after COVID or something, you would have to do a shot. I know you don't drink, but maybe you do like a shot of water or maybe might force you to do something. Or tea, tea and coffee, something. Maybe, maybe, maybe we spike it and you don't tell you, but you know. So <laughs> I, I, do, I do some blue label vodka, but I don't have none. Uh, okay. Well, because I can't force you to while you're at home, it's okay. But you just have to answer the question that comes up. Cool. What would happen normally is if you didn't answer the question, you would have to do a shot until right. you actually answer one of the questions that came up. So that or so how, how messed up you got would depend on how trustworthy right. you think I am. You in it? You ready to do this? I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. So here goes the ball. Here goes the spin. Not really. Number three. Put this right down. Oh, three is the magic number. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. Number three. You serious with this? Yeah, of course I'm serious with this. As you know, just so y'all know, this is not rigged. This is actually real. Let's go. Okay. Um. Well, this is an interesting question for you. I'm not sure if you're able to answer it, but the best artist experience that you've worked with. The best artist experience that I've worked with. I have to let me let me think about that. There's been some. Mm, see, here we go. Um, the best experience, though. Mm. That's the, that is the part. <laughs> There's a number of experiences. Which one's the right. best? <laughs> Right. Um, and best and actually best can be whatever you decide to be best. Like the Mariah one about her kicking you out from backstage because she don't know you could be a best one because it's funny. Like, Right. Um, no, I think um, the best experience I've had, there were there were there were two. Ooh. And um, the first time was with my girl, Michelle Gibson who is from New Orleans, mm-hmm. who does second line. She has um, the original Buckshot. And that, like, I, I wanted to film it, but I was like, no, I can't film this. I got to be in this. I got to be in it. There's no time to film or I'm going to lose the experience. Mm-hmm. And taking that class with her was like, there was a spiritual awakening. There was a shift in m- me being connected to my ancestors. Mm. I can't really explain it. It was amazing. It's like, you know, she's a preacher's kid and 
it was just the the experience she brought to that room was mind blowing, mind blowing. And then the second time was also a spiritual experience that brought me to tears. Was with my boy Sabela Grimes mm. at U.S. He was just teaching class, and his approach. He was playing gospel music, and his approach to understanding movement through the spiritual connection of the black experience in church, dude, crazy, crazy. Dope. Um, like I, you know, I've, I've, I've blessed the stage with the last poets. I've, you know, I've had some experiences with people. I've worked for Karis One doing mm. paint work. Him and Madline. I've I've been around some people, but and had some experiences. But the the those two stand out to me. Dope. Like being with those two artists. Now they may not be like you know on 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 level when we think of artists. They may not mm-hmm. be like, but they're artists. And yeah. um, the experience I had with them was just it was a molecule shift. That ooh, you went molecular. Nice. Yes. Like nice. All right. Okay, Mr. Eric Monsell Durden, aka Ill Cosby. Mm -hmm. From unfortunately Harrisburg by way of (laughs) leading down to LA. So once again, drop the Instagram first one on the people's. Monsell Durden or at Monsell Durden or at Intangible Roots. And the website? MonsellDurden.com. There it is. And then next time we come back, we're going to get into your beginning hip hop dance book produced by Human Kinetics. We're going to get into your excerpt in Jazz Dance History of the Roots and Branches of Jazz Dance. You have a you have a section in here in this book. Which is a continuation, actually, of uh, the book by Marshall Stearns, technically. It's not, it's not part one, part two, but technically right. this book picks up where that one left off, coming all the way back into where we are now in current time, um, which is this book here. Right, Marshall Y'all Stearns. can't see it because y'all listen to it, but right. if we do the archive footage, you'll see it, which is why I'm saying the names. So the first book is Jazz Dance, uh, The Story of American Vernacular Dance by Marshall and Gene Stearns. That's the history book. Marcel is not in that one, but the continuation is called Jazz Dance, A History of the Roots and Branches of Jazz um, by Linda and Wendy. And then you're also in a book, uh, you have an excerpt, uh, a foreword, I think it is, with uh, Brenda Dixon's book, The Dancing Black Body, and another book that she released a couple of years ago. This dude, again, Brenda from Temple. It's in there? Yeah, dude. You don't know what you're in? No, I mean, dude, I Brenda hit me up when she was doing that book. And I was like, listen, I want you to do a, a, like, send me a quote or something or whatever, right? A little, just a little paragraph. I'm going to put it in the book. I have the book, but I never saw it. I never saw it in there. So I thought she didn't put it in there. Yeah, I called you when I read it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you spe- you're spe- okay, I'm over you. All right, so. <laughs> wait, wait, but wait. There's a new book coming out supposed to come out this fall called this is also by uh uh um Brenda. wendy and Lindsay. oh no wendy. this was yeah we did a part two we did a part two Ooh, so this, i don't know this information right so you got jazz dance history of the roots and branches and now we got coming out this fall 
same publisher, same editors, um, but also Carlos Jones is a, a, a added editor to the book. So Lindy wins, Lindsay wins, uh, uh, Wendy and Carlos Jones. Um, this book is called Rooted Jazz Dance, Africanist Aesthetics and Equity in the 21st Century. Strong and listen, When I say, like, we, we, this, this is, this is slap your mama in the mouth. It's so hot, right? Because this is like, when you want to talk the root, this is, this ain't about the roots. This is about the root. The root, okay. We, we ain't even mentioning other folks that are known for jazz. We ain't even put their names in the book. Strong J. Like, I know my article, my article was like, they was like, no, 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 no. We not mentioning these people. They, they've been mentioned enough. We not mentioning them. They Ooh. get no name. When is this so, book dropping? Before the drop this fall. This it's fall. done. Yeah, it's done. So it's supposed to, hopefully, hopefully it'll be out, you know, for classes to start. All right, all right. I will, make, sh- I will make sure that when that book drops, I will let the people know. I will make a post about it itself. Yeah. Don't. And then I have, I have another one. Um, uh, I, well, I ain't gonna recommend. I mean, it's a dope. It's an encyclopedia. It's kind of dope. Short, short articles, uh, but it's expensive as hell. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> all right. It's like, so, brother, but, sell. Yeah. Yes. We got to We got. We got to do this again. We got to do it again. We got to do it again. Cool. Uh, we'll make it happen. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of my life. Thank you for the amount of inspiration you gave me. Thank you for the amount of education you've given the people, not just today, but around the world and all that you do and on a regular basis at USC. Um, dude, keep doing the work and please stop misunderstanding or mis, uh, calculating your strength. I'm still learning, man. I'm still learning what that is. I will give you that. But start, but start build, start start adding yourself more into that equation. That yeah, you're I'm trying to, I'm trying to own it. I'm okay. definitely trying to stay in my sacred yes of ownership. Okay, as long as you're working on it, we cool. I want to have yep. to jump through the camera lens and you know knock you up a few times, slapping the back of the head like. <laughs> 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 All right, ladies and gentlemen, this wraps up the another episode of Gamble's Green Room with your host Mike Gamble. Make sure you are if you're not doing it yet. You are following at Gamble's Green Room on Instagram. Uh, and then coming up on the website soon, we're developing, we're going to give you some more background information. There's some be- behind the scenes footage releases happening, and we are going to be developing merch as well. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And if you're not doing it yet, make sure you subscribe to this so you know when every episode comes out, which is the first and 15th of every month coming up twice a month, you get a daily dose of a new person that you need to know with the stories you want to hear. Mike Gamble, your host, Monsell, Eric Monsell, Durden in the house. Thank you, brother, man. Love you very much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.